open up your Bibles to John 13. We've been on this subject for a little while called A New Way for a New Day. And uh, Jesus was in the middle of a transition here uh, with his disciples. He was getting ready to leave. He was getting ready to uh, go be with the Father. And he was going to leave them behind. And they were going to have to function a new way. This was it. And it was there. And it was upon them. And so just with a couple of days left, he's talking to them. You know what I mean? In other words, literally, he's got a couple of days left and he shares this stuff with the disciples about how to live today that we're living in while the Lord is in heaven. So John 13, 1 said this in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, and we know the Passover was a symbol to the Jewish people, of the sacrificial lamb that covered their sins and brought them out of Egypt, you know, and protected them. But it was also pointing to the Savior coming, and he would become the sacrificial lamb. And so right here is when he's about to die. And so it's at this time of this feast, it says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so after supper is served, it says that he started serving them. And he said, you don't actually know what I'm doing right now, but after I'm gone, you will. And we looked at the subject. And so what we don't want this series to be is what we don't want really any series to be altogether is just information. Because if the information is not put into action. There's no personal transformation. There is no greater transformation in the world. You know what I mean by that? In other words, you know, if you see a sign with the speed limit, if you do nothing with it, it doesn't change you, right? In other words, if you're going 75 and it says 65, but you just keep going, there's no change that happens. Well, that's in a small way. In life, now I'm not saying anybody's speeding here or anything, or I have a problem with speeding or something, but I'm saying in the picture of the way the Word of God is, if it just is a sign that we read without putting it into action, there is no personal transformation. Right? How many of you know there is somebody that you're going to run into in this life who can quote the Bible better than you? But you don't know who I'm talking about. Maybe you do. The devil. He quotes the Bible and twists it for people. But I'll tell you what, there is no transformation in his life. Because he doesn't act on the truth. You with me? And so what he started here was he said, listen, you guys, and not just them, like because we could read this and go, yeah, this is just all about them. The first thing he brings up is serving one another and serving in the kingdom. And really, if, if I don't serve in the kingdom, I'm incomplete as a believer. I'm not fulfilled as a believer because I'm created this way. Everything he asked us to do, we were created for. And so if I'm not doing this, I'm not coming to my full potential. And not only am I not coming to my full potential, 
neither is the body of Christ. You say, well, why is that? Because every part that serves actually brings something to the table. And they actually give. Well, who are they giving to? The greater body. So think about this. There are people here that serve that are actually giving to the greater part of the body. And everybody here, in a degree, is partaking of that. You say, in what way? Somebody cleaned this room. Somebody gave offerings to keep the lights on so we could read. You know, there's just such a, a flow of serving and being involved that affects so many people and really affects everybody. Could you imagine if everybody was doing their place serving, what fullness it would add to the body of Christ? So it's interesting that he told us is the first thing when I leave is serve. Serve one another. Don't try to promote yourself because there was a void. We talked about that. You know, Jesus was going to be gone. They had already struggled with this. They were already trying to get to the big seat. You know, hey, he's leaving. There's 12 of us. They didn't know one of them was going off the rails. But they're thinking... I got a pretty good shot at a promotion. They even had one of their moms talk to Jesus. Thank you, moms, for talking to Jesus for us. Then the others found out, and they were ticked off. You know, hey, you know, what is this? Because they heard, you know, how do I get to the right hand and the left hand? These places of power with you, Jesus. And the other disciples were like, man, hey. And Jesus had to straighten them out. Well, they had this going on, so the very first thing he says is, if you want to be great, you want to do anything, you got to be like me, you've got to serve. Jesus was the greatest server there was to humanity, and he was the example for us. And if I don't serve, my part is gone. And if it was never here in the first place, you would never know what it would have added to your life. You would just be where you are, going the way you are. But sometimes people put too much value just on me serving or somebody else and not enough value on themselves serving because they don't realize that when you were recreated in Christ, there was something put in you that needs to be offered to the body as a whole. And then what does it do? It creates a supply. You know, if your joint stiffens up on your arm, well, then the whole rest of your arm is affected by it. And the Bible said, we are the body of Christ and members individually. And it says each joint has a supply. Some people don't realize the real value of serving. And so, well, what happens? I am incomplete because there's something damned up in me. And then if it's damned up in me, then it's not flowing through me. And then there's others that are missing out. So the body becomes affected and less what it should be in its fullness. You with me? And so there is no part that's too small. I mean, a toe is valuable. If you lose one, you would know. You lose them all, you'd know. Well, it's just a foot. Only a pirate is cool without a foot. 
And even then, they get that little wooden thing gets stuck in the deck of the boat, and it's just a hassle. So every part is important, and people need to realize, you know, they are. But here's the next thing. He said love. You could use the same formula and say, if I don't walk in love, I'm not complete. If I don't give love to the body and to those around, then the body is not as complete or as filled as it should be. Because could you imagine a church without love and without preferring one another and it was all about selfishness and all about what I could get? Could you imagine if the Lord lived like that? That had been crazy. We wouldn't be here if he lived like that. And so if we or I don't walk in love, think of what and maybe you wouldn't know if we don't walk in love to the measure we should, we wouldn't even know what we're missing. The very next thing is he's talked about the lost. If I'm not reaching the lost, he talked about him being the way, then think of how I'm not being fulfilled. I'm not doing my part, but then how it affects the body too. And you could go through the whole thing. So one thing we sure don't want is we don't want this to be just information. Because if we just read this stuff and we never do anything with it, never ask the Lord, is there a way I can apply this? Where should I be doing this serving business? Where should I be doing this reaching business? You know, what does this love look like? Where do I put this into action? All it becomes is a gathering of information without real transformation. And the Christian life is to be transformation. You with me? It is to be different than everything else. We should never fault any of the world religions for acting mean, you know, some people say, oh, well, the Muslims, they kill people. They're just angry. We should never fault them for that. They don't have a savior. They don't have eternal life. We shouldn't worry about them other than reaching them. We should look at us and go, wait a minute, we're the ones with the goods for transformation. We're the one who God is working with who wants to care through us and serve through us and love through us and reach through us. And so we don't want this just to be personal information because we could be in danger of that, especially in our society. You know, I mean, you have a discussion, I was going to say an argument, disagreement. I mean, I've done it before and I'll just prove my point. Google, what does this, whatever, and it confirms that I was right again. But I didn't need Google to know I was right. I'm just saying. If not, I'm saying there's some kind of connection problem. I didn't hear that right. Let's just move on. No, we're not always right. But here's the thing. Is life just about information only and being right or is information, I mean, especially in an information society where you just gather information, I mean, unless life is all about jeopardy, getting on the show and winning. Because then you need that kind of information. You know what I mean? I mean, those guys, I was going to say they're my hero. They're not. I'm thinking, what in the world are they doing with their life that you know such things? You with me? 
it's almost mind-blowing, but our society is like gather information. Then we have a game show about somebody who gathers information, and we give them lots of money for it. That's their reward. And they can come back week after week, and then they become a, a Jeopardy hero. You know, it's all, all about information. Listen, this life is more than that. And we need to recognize, what are we rewarding? The doer or the informed one? It's almost like our society is fighting just to be right instead of being transformed. And we don't want them over on that side. We just want them over here. No, we want them transformed. Leave them where they are. Get them saved. You know what I mean? They'll move when they're different. Amen. So we don't want this just to be truth gathering. Right? I knew you guys would appreciate that. I feel like we need a taxi ready so I can get out of here. No. It's the truth, though. We don't just need to gather information. We need to ask what can we put into motion? I mean, we've all been to like national parks or whatever where the chipmunks are, and there's some of them, they're not eating. They're, they're just filling their cheeks more and more, and you throw one more and they'll just fill it. And you think, what are you doing? And we don't need that. Well, I could take some more. We, we can take more, but let's apply some too. Some more. And so... These scriptures up until John 16 are technically taking the guesswork out of the age-old question, what's God's will for my life? That's what he was doing. If everybody started here, no matter where you went as you go in these things, you're going to walk into the fullness of his plan for your life. Because it will always be around these things, but somebody said, yeah, but I think I'm called to do this and called to do that. Everybody has to start at these things right here, and then it will bring you into the right place. But if it's just information, then I'm going to not be transformed. And if I'm not transformed, neither is the body. Notice how I didn't say you. But you know I was sitting in your seat too, going, me, you, us, all of us. And the more I put things into motion, the more transformation comes to me, which comes to us. So John 15, 1, we've read these scriptures for a couple of weeks, and we're going to, I believe, move on after today. But John 15, 1, it says, I am the true vine. What he's teaching here, he's actually introducing a way of thought that some have said, well, Paul in the New Testament brought forth a revelation that was extensive about believers being in Christ and Christ being in believers. Believers having new life and believers living in Christ. It's actually interesting, Jesus introduces it here and in the chapter before. Notice, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me. Now he's going to use that term, in me or abide in me and me in you. Those are the same kinds of things that are written all through the New Testament that tell us who we are, what we have in Christ. But notice, I am the true vine. Why does Jesus make such a statement as this? 
because he wants you to know that I'm the source, the true source of life. There is no other life. No temptation will come to you that will produce the life you're looking for. We all know because somewhere along the line, we've all yielded to temptation and thought, this was the thing I was looking for, and we did it and went, no, it wasn't. When we already knew the truth, Jesus is the true source of life and his ways. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser or the one who trims. We saw that the first week we talked about this. Uses words to direct and correct us and guide us. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. We looked at that without further discussion. It does not mean take away. It means lift up or put into a position where it can grow and get fruitful. He takes away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And this is like going to a gardening show or something. He Fruit, more fruit, trimming. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. There's that phrase. And I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. In case you haven't gotten it by now. You, as a branch, will never be what will be fulfilling, life-giving, satisfying. None of that until you walk with the Lord in the terms He lays out. Because notice He goes on to say, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they, or you could say the world, gathers them up and throws them into the fire and they are burned. How many people have been burned by the world because they dried up? Notice this. This is the contrast to that drying up. If you abide in me, let me just make a statement. Drying up is not a feeling. Drying up is not a feeling. Feelings are feelings. Because the devil will lie to you. You don't think he wants you to think you're all dry? Maybe some of the pain you're going through is growing. You ever seen a worm become a butterfly? There's effort. There's labor. Cracking, getting out of the shell. It's not real pretty experience. Some people are going, whoa, you know, I must be drying up because I don't feel the Lord like I used to. That's not what he's talking about. But the enemy will lie to you so you'll partner with him. Yep, you're drying up. 
that's you. And then you go, that's me. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to get you to live by feelings. What about the day you don't sense the Lord real strong? Does that mean you're far from him? No. No. But if you're not careful, you'll try to live your life not according to truth, but by experience. Experiences are great, but they're not the first priority of life. The truth and obeying the Lord is the first priority of life. You with me? And so here when he said in this 15th verse, he said, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and he's withered. Don't just listen to every thought that says, well, that, that, that must be you. I'm withering. I don't feel the same. You know, one thing that slays or kills many people is when maybe they haven't been walking with the Lord and now they're determined, I'm going to walk with him, I'm going to go forward with him. I haven't been walking with him like I should, and from now on I'm going to go for it. And maybe they did five years ago or 10 or maybe 20 years ago, and they remember how good it was to serve the Lord and how fulfilling it was to serve the Lord. And they go, okay, now I'm going to make a step. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to go for it. And then they start going, and then, you know, they're a day, a week maybe into it, and they go, you know, the thought comes, you don't probably feel exactly like you did five years ago, do you? Because you remember the bliss. Maybe you're just not, maybe this just isn't it. Maybe you're just, maybe there's something wrong with you. Hey, this happens to people. It can be one of the biggest stumbling blocks for people who are rededicating their life and choosing to go forward is to live by feelings. You know, one of the great deceptions in the Bible is a story in the Old Testament where somebody lost his inheritance over feelings. I mean an inheritance. An inheritance in the Bible is a big, big thing. One time a brother came in, like a literal brother, uh, came in. Sorry. Came in to his dad and... Somebody's going to go, I'll get that later. Sorry. Anyway, so this brother comes in, and he is younger. The firstborn's the one who gets the inheritance. His brother's super hairy, and his name's not Harry, okay? But he's so hairy, he puts a piece of cloth on him or a fur, you know, like leather or whatever, the hide with the fur, and his dad's dying, he's old, and before they would die, they would confer the blessing. When that blessing got on him, that was it. And his eyes, it said, were dim, so it was time. They knew his dad's passing away. They're about to you know, get their inheritance. They lay hands on him. It was so literal when this happened, that's where the blessing went, and it would work in their life. So this one kid comes in, and he said, is it you? And he said, it's me. But it wasn't him. And his brother's so hairy, he put a, you know, a skin on him with the fur, you know, and his dad reached out and touched him. I said, well, feels like him. That dude must have been hairy. He said, well, it feels like him. I mean, he must have been really, really hairy. 
you know, like uh, if you, weekly world news, you ever see those that when you go through the grocery store, they're not the real news, but you know, like that monkey boy and stuff, and he's just covered with, I mean, he must have been there because he went and he reached, and he said, well, he feels like him, but it doesn't sound like him. He said, no, it's me. So he said, okay, and he laid hands on him and gave him the blessing, and then the brother who, Harry, the real Harry, came forward and said, dad, I'm ready for the blessing. He said, what are you talking about? And then he realized his brother stole the blessing, and it was all based on feelings. How many people miss out on blessings because they're trying to feel something? I found if you put feelings second and purpose first, feelings will come. Feelings will come. Hey, have you ever just gone to work because you knew it was right? Didn't have any feelings. Did, it, did you ask yourself for special feelings? Well, I'll tell you what, the feeling came of satisfaction when that check came on Friday. He said, "Woo, hallelujah. Right? Or whenever you got your check, the return. And we need to be at least that intelligent with our walk with the Lord that we may not always feel things, but they'll be there. God will deal with us. God will work in us. But if we just think, well, I've done a couple things wrong. I guess I'm withering. No. He's talking about a total disconnect here. And he actually gives you the remedy to have the flow, so to speak, in your life. Notice verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Hey, if your leaves are wet as a branch, you won't burn. Notice this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. The contrast here is withered or fruit. Withered or fruit. And he basically tells you how to not be withered as a believer. And he tells us the idea for much fruit and not being withered is staying connected to the Lord and having his word abide in you. You know, Paul said this one time, writing to the Corinthians in the Bible, he said, I've planted seeds with the word of God, but Apollos has watered these seeds by teaching. So when I personally hear the word of God, I'm getting watered. When I accept the word that I hear, that keeps me wet pliable, in other words, not drying up, because how many times does the world come and throw its heat at us to go this way and go that? But when we're full of the water of the word, we have something to repel it. We're just not naturally burned. And it takes some dedication, meaning, isn't it true? I don't know if it is, at least at your house, at my house, it's true that I water more during the summer here when it's real hot. Sometimes I have to get out there with a hose, and it's not like I have feelings for it. Like, oh, I, 
It's like 115 out. I know what I want to do. Go stand in the sun and water this bush for 20 minutes, then move to this one because that's exciting. But it's purposeful and it'll bring results. You with me? And so we do it. And here he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you can ask what you will. The word is super important to a believer. In a world that, that there's such a flow that will constantly bombard you to go a wrong way, we need some kind of internal standard. One thing is, if I don't fill myself with the Word of God, it affects my prayer life. My confidence before God diminishes because I'm not even sure what God wants and what God has to say and what He said is mine and what belongs to me. So I say, oh Lord, you know, I would sure like this, but if those words are dwelling in me and I recognize that there are many, many promises of things He said belong to me, and I read about them, and I trust His Word, and I recognize the integrity of the Bible, then when I go to pray, I'm going to be a lot more confident than just thinking, well, if you want this for me, I already know. He already did something. Jesus did something so I could have this. And so he's teaching here how to bear really fruit in prayer. Whatever you ask, whatever you ask, he will do it when that truth abides in you because you'll ask confidently and you'll know this belongs to me. And so we know that we're called a branch here. And Paul said, you get watered by the word of God. This is huge because watering makes branches strong. But when you get watered with the Word, what happens actually is not just only does it give you strength, it actually, when you hear it correctly, it will impart boldness and confidence to you. It'll make you have backbone. Why? Because it'll say, this belongs to you. You won't have to go, God, I don't know if you want this. No, you want me to have this. I claim this, Lord. You said it's mine. I believe what you said. So you're not just getting watered with water. You're getting watered with confidence. You're getting watered with assurance. And these are not words we make up to give to people. These are words God made sure were written so that when you would hear them, you'd get confident. And you go... No, the greater one lives in me. It doesn't matter what's coming. We can win. Because, you know, the Bible said sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. People talk like that, and they don't realize he said you're more than a conqueror. And he has conquering for you. You with me? Go to Peter. 2 Peter, and look at this. 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4. Grace, God's ability, God's strength, grace, God's working ability, and peace be multiplied. How does it come to you? Multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. I get my ability to pray. I get my ability to live this life out. Through truth. Notice grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. 
and Jesus our Lord. You know what's interesting is sometimes there can be battles on what's said and what's not said. I don't want to say this because it might offend people. But in all reality, all truth needs to be told because otherwise there's things that are not multiplied to us. And we miss out. Notice verse 3. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life or for life and godliness. There's nothing in life, nothing about living this life with God that has not already been given. Notice, through the knowledge of Him who called you by glory and virtue. Notice verse 4. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. If you abide in me and my word abides in you. We should recognize that the word of God, the promises, the facts that are in there are actually precious. We talk about precious metals. I mean, I don't know about you. But I've never, ever, like when I lived in California, there was a canyon above my house, and there were people that panned for gold. I never, ever saw anybody up there panning for dirt clods. How many you got? I got like three or four big ones. Look at this. Whoa, that's awesome. I got a bag of dirt over here. Serious. Why don't people pan for dirt? Because it ain't precious. We call them precious metals. You go to the stock exchange. We look at precious metals. How much is gold? How much is silver? How much is platinum? How much is dirt? It's not on the stock exchange. Or whatever the reports are. It's not on the stock exchange. But it's not on the reports of value that goes up and down. Because why? It's not worth anything. Some things aren't worth things. But notice what is the Word of God promises are great and precious. We should pan for this. Think of people who get rich off of gold or try to get rich off of it. Man, they work just to get the nuggets they get. And some of them be pretty cantankerous. You know, you don't cross their claim. And I'm not talking way back in the Western days, you know. I'm talking today. Because I live below this one canyon, you'd hear people talk, man, some of those people are crazy. I knew a person who would serve for the sheriff's, you know, things up there, and they said, those people, you make sure you got a gun, and you make sure when you serve, you know, here you go, and don't always go by yourself, because these people are different when it comes to their gold, just being on their piece of land that they staked out. How protective are we of the word? How many of us know really what we're digging for, the value of it? Great, precious promises. Notice this. By which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises that through these great, precious promises you may be partakers, and then it goes on to say, of the divine nature and so on and so forth. But notice what he said. By these promises, you can partake. 
Didn't he say, if my word abides in you, you could ask what you want, right? You could, because by the promises, we have the strength, we have what it takes. Actually, it imparts faith, and everything you're ever going to need to receive from God is going to be a faith venture. You know what I mean? In other words, it's going to be based on our confidence and trust in Him. So we should dig. Find out things that belong to us. And when we find out what belongs to us, we should ponder those scriptures, think about those scriptures. Because they'll give us the title deed, the strength, the confidence to experience them and live them out in our life. Here's the thing. If I go back to what I said right at the beginning... You know, we don't want this just to be information. We want our lives to be transformed. Then what we need to recognize is this. It's good to hear these things, but there's the side now of, will I crack my Bible and start my own personal Bible study time? Where maybe I give 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes a day to where I start reading the New Testament primarily to find out what belongs to me. So why? The revolution of my prayer life. But if my prayer life is revolutionized, you know what's going to happen? Because this is all about the supply to the church, to the body. Can you imagine a place where people are praying for one another? And not just one or two, but more and more people. We're going to be running into other people's prayers, so to speak. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm going to come to church and God's going to deal with me. And I don't know why, but he just always does there. Maybe somebody was praying. Man, I was out and struggling. I don't know how I stood up and made it that day. Because maybe somebody in the body was feeding themselves and then giving a supply by prayer. What a revolutionary thought that this place is changing and we're going to change people and we're getting the tools how to do it. I don't know about you, but I'm okay with experiencing God in this life. He hadn't hurt me yet. <laughs> 